0: Hi, you're listening to the McKinsey on Insurance podcast. In this series, we feature senior leaders who discuss trends, disruptions, and strategies that are reshaping the insurance industry as we know it. I'm Anand Swaminathan, a senior partner at McKinsey, and I'm excited to share a conversation today with Biswa Misra, Group CTO and Life Operations Officer at AIA. Biswa, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast today.
1: Anand, thank you for having me.
0: Biswa, you know, one of the things I thought we'd start with is the fact that the insurance industry, it's historically always perceived as a low-tech, face-to-face business. And frankly, we've even seen some of the trends in our McKinsey research where when we think about cost pressures on the industry or thinking about the gap between cost ratios for leaders and laggards that is now reaching 30% in life but we've been fascinated by the journey you've been on at AIA. So I'd love to hear as a leading global insurer with over a hundred year legacy and legacy systems, Biswap, could you share with us the journey you've been on with technology, digital and analytics and the transformation? And how did you get started?
1: Yeah, thanks Anand. I think of AIA as one of the bellwether companies which are actually leading the market, not just in terms of digital experiences and digitization overall, but also in terms of our efficiency, in terms of the expense to income that we deal with. Having said that, you're right. I mean, historically, insurance has been considered more of a dinosaur in in, in that sense when it comes to tech. I think the pervasiveness of technology in Asia, where we operate, was really something that we experienced, all of us as consumers. And when you look at financial services in general, you cannot basically be in isolation from that macro trend that's sweeping across Asia. So a lot of the foundations we put in place in terms of our thinking on how do we modernize a 100-year young company, I mean, you know, we are more than 100 years now, was really to look at making sure that we not only make sure that we latch on to the mindset that the consumer base is shifting towards, but also look at what does it do for us in terms of the experience that we can provide to them so that they don't really think of insurance as some kind of a dinosaur. I mean, as you said, low tech, right? And that was the start of our journey.
0: I find that quite fascinating. We actually found, uh, Biswa, that in Asia, right, almost 50% of this concept of insurtechs, these organizations that are fundamentally leading with technology, they're driving so much innovation, specifically on marketing, distribution. And even in the life and health space, they are infusing technology and digital in there. And we found what was very interesting, Biswa, at AIA, you had sort of the three pillars. You had technology, you had digital and analytics. But in some of our experiences, organizations struggle to do all three very well at the same time. Did you pick one over the other?
1: Did you have a sequence? How did you get going on that? And how did you solve that? In a lot of cases, what we found, my personal experience as well included was, historically, because of the low-tech touchpoint background from where we came from, there was a tech strategy, and then there was a business strategy. And eventually, the tech strategy would support the business strategy. But what we did as a part of the transmission at AIA, which is at a huge scale, given the size that we have, was really focus on bringing technologies to augment, supplement, and embellish our business strategy. So a lot of that then goes down to how do you basically decipher the puzzle, right? So what we basically did was make a, make a real strategic call here, that any technologies that we will run, which can be run on the cloud, we will basically move to cloud. So foundationally, it did two things for us. It made sure that we had the best building material, best foundation that we could have for the new house. But more importantly, as you would also know, when you move houses, you don't take everything with you. Some things you don't use, but inertia makes you really leave it behind. Now, when we started to move houses, as we build the foundation, we realized that ah, there is a certain minimum standard that's needed to be a participant in that house. So in a lot of cases we started to get rid of stuff or modernize the stuff, we would have otherwise left untouched if we didn't change the foundations that we were talking about. So that was the first point. And broadly, that talks about technology, T, the infrastructure, the security you build around that infrastructure, the hygiene factors that you build around that infrastructure, the getting rid of dated legacy on that infrastructure. That's basically T for you. One of the other elements in a house when you move is also efficiency. And Now you're veering into the remit of value as well. What do we mean by that? In the past, you would have appliances in the house which would consume a specific amount of power. Today, technology has changed. You could go a lot leaner. You could go a lot greener. You could basically use technologies to really control that. So for that, on the technology side, that became a proxy for automation for us. Because of the traditional nature of the host-based business that I talked about, we didn't have that levels of efficiency in the system. So what we also built in in the technology work stream was what we called publicly straight-through processing. We're today handling 70%-plus transactions straight-through. When we basically make a claim, 7 out of 10 transactions go straight-through. That means no human intervention. So the house that we started to build not only had robust foundations but it was actually built to service a huge set of transactions automatically.
0: How did you measure the value, Biswad, that you were able to get from T? Was it cost? Was it because if you're talking about cloud adoption and cloud migration there will be and modernization, there's naturally a cost element, but there's talent components to it. There's value that comes from new applications that can create new experiences for customers. There's so many ways to measure the value. How did you measure the value at, at AIA with that?
1: So there was obviously a, a, a huge cost advantage um, that you'd get, but you'd only get that if you do it at scale. I'm not sure how many companies would be at the levels of cloud adoption that we have been able to achieve. And there's a reason for that. That's not because we wanted to do a number. That's because the theory of large numbers only comes in if you do a significant part of your estate, you move to one place. There's no point in keeping two homes because you'll have to pay two two sets of maintenance, two two sets of security, two, two sets of everything, right? So because of the breadth of coverage in cloud, as well as basically looking at some of the modern technologies that came in as a part of the cloud, we could easily look at an IRR of 10+. plus. In fact, our actual numbers will be far higher than that, but conservatively 10% plus. So the business case pays for itself in terms of moving to cloud. What you then do is look at what you referred to or alluded to briefly, some softer benefits. The first and the biggest advantage we basically got in terms of mindset was to shift to that, that as a company, we want to be always on and always be available through different channels that we make ourselves available through all the time. So that resilience that we built in, that availability zones that we made available, those failovers that we made available um, in case a zone has a particular issue had a huge impact on the way our consumers who interact with us on a day-to-day basis and our distribution partners who deal with us on a day-to-day basis perceive us in terms of a company which is ready to transact and ready to do business with all the time.
0: Maybe a two-part question for you, Biswa, to contemplate with me. One part is, it's hard to get the right talent. Sure, there are a lot of people coming out of universities, there are a lot of other institutions we can go after to get them, but it's hard to attract, retain, and motivate the best talent. How did you do that at AIA? But we'll also come to a second part that I'll dive into a bit on talent, which is, how do you continuously develop them? Once they're there, because it's not just about joining, it's about developing and
1: continuous education they need. But we'd love to know how you did that. Talent is a pretty important area for any company, not just insurer to look at. We're a very purpose-driven company. We want to make Asia healthier. We want to make sure that our customers live longer and better lives. It's a powerful axiom on which to kind of pivot a lot of intellectual energy. So the first part in the talent acquisition process, in the talent retention process, is really to give people a purpose. And once the purpose is clear, there still be areas wherein people might look left and right, but a large chunk of that people stay on that course because all they are at that point in time thinking is, how can I make human lives great? And that's, that's very important to me. A lot of our, our attrition at senior levels is, is quite low touch on the technology side. I believe the innate reason for that is really nothing but the desire in these guys to change the face of life and health insurance in Asia. That's the single line boilerplate. It's a defining moment for the industry. It's a defining moment that they get to be a
0: part of, right?
1: We are creating history. That's what we think because, I mean, as you said, it's a low-tech, low-touch industry and, and you're changing the face of it forever, probably. I mean, there's no going back. I think the talent that we get in also would get frustrated because you you see, when you try to bring in new talent into an industry which is low-tech, there are forces at play. And those forces are forces of change. In general, there are very few people who like change, honestly, although we talk a lot about change and change management. So one of the things is really try to have a careful balance of infusing people step-by-step, who are coming from different industries, who are coming from insurance industries as well, but sometimes different segments into our existing workforce and find the right balance. And for us, it's been a journey. It's been a learning. So it's a mix and match. And to be honest, we are still learning. And for the workforce, which has already been there with us, we also had an obligation. I mean, the only way this story will succeed is if they don't feel left out. So we bought in programs. We bought in executive leadership programs wherein we started to change people's perceptions towards learnability. So can a business analyst be a data scientist? Who knows? But unless you give it a try, you put a foundational program in place, you never know. Can a traditional infrastructure guy become a cloud specialist? Who knows? But unless you try and you make a concerted effort, you never know. To
0: me, that's very inspiring because. I believe, and again, our McKinsey research shows, this talent gap is actually still quite significant in organizations, especially when you think about technology, digital analytics, skill sets. One, there continues to be not some vast supply of that talent that we could just go pick and choose whoever we want, whenever we want. Getting the best technology talent or digital talent takes real skill, takes real effort and patience. And then it's developing their capabilities, keeping them motivated. I love the point you talk about regarding purpose. I think we're all, as humans, motivated by purpose. And if that's one of the core principles and tenets in how you operate, I'm sure it inspires a lot of people. Let's switch gears, Biswa. I have a question around the future. The real message is that fundamentally, technology is just ever-changing and there are new capabilities coming up every single day. How do you see the future, Biswa, for the insurance industry, for adopting technologies like this? Where is it going to go? And how are you preparing for that future?
1: It's the nature of the business that technology always changes. So it's no surprise that it keeps changing and it keeps evolving. And the best companies try to look at technologies that are relevant and integrate that into end outcomes such as productivity, experience, or in some cases, efficiency. So our story around using futuristic technology is really not for the sake of technology. Now, what has happened over a period of time, as you can imagine, is we have built, again talking specifically of the insurance industry and AIA, we have built a lot of performing systems. Most of these systems are performing, but they're just performing systems. They don't have intelligence. And what a consumer of tomorrow is looking at is basic intelligence. So the next phase of our journey in terms of our evolution of tech strategy would be to build more intelligence into these performing systems. And that's where the power of AI as well as the power of data analytics come to fore. A lot of our effort will be focused on harnessing the tons of data that we have available, structured and unstructured, and actually matching them with our performance systems So that the users who deal with this, they basically start to see the alpha for themselves. So I think it is going to be a fascinating story for us to see how these things evolve. And where can we use conversational AI, where we can use cognitive computing. It's a vast set of data to play with. We'll see how we progress from where we are today, which is no more a tech dinosaur or a tech lagarde to really see if this performing technology that we have now put in place can become intelligent over a period of time.
0: I love the concept of infusing intelligence into technology. I think what a great message, definitely for our audience and leaders around the world, but it does seem to be the future, infusing intelligence into what we have today. I do have a question for you around how leading insurers in other markets outside of Asia can learn from the journey that you've been on.
1: Any advice you'd have, Biswa, for insurers in Europe or insurers in North America? I'll definitely share with you and your audience two key things that I think inspired me and changed the face of our transformation journey. It became very clear to me what voice from the top means. We have a group CEO who really believes in the power of technology to change the insurance landscape. Not because we want to build in something which is wacky, but because how can you use technology to really look at efficiency, look at experience for our distribution, for our customers, and really be a part of their journey. So that tone setting from the top is quite important. And I think we all do that in different ways. But when you follow up that tone with really the capital investments that are there, and then track it religiously down, I mean, voice from the top and following up on that direction is perhaps the biggest learning that I can share. The second one, which is equally critical, if not more, is the team. It's really down to the vision of the executive team, but it's backed by a team which has believed in this vision. When you have a team which is kind of dedicated, committed, and passionate around the purpose that you set in place, and when there is an executive team which is committed to basically driving value for your stakeholders—
0: this has been such a pleasure to speak with you today and really enjoyed hearing the perspectives on TDA, the journey that you and your teams have gone through and truly the impact you've been able to create. So thank you for sharing your insights. And I really appreciate it. A big thank you to our listeners. You've been listening to McKinsey on insurance. And remember, you can find a transcript of today's conversation on mckinsey.com.